Hello everyone and welcome in my teacher shoes and on a journey to become a better, more innovative teacher. Every week we bring interesting leaders, educators, entrepreneurs and students to showcase what we have to learn from them. I hope you'll all enjoy. So welcome back in a teacher's shoes, a proud member of Voice Ed Radio. Today my guest is Scott Lewis. He is an instructional technology coach, a runner, a COSN certified educational tech leader, a Google certified educator, a Hapara champion trainer, and he would, I would summarize it, him as a teacher of teachers. So I got to know him a bit last year when he started organizing a cross-cultural and disciplinary collaboration for two teachers. So two of his teachers, basically Mr. Bracken's French as a second language class and my project-based ESL students were there as well. And there was also an art teacher involved at the school. So basically our students ended up exchanging on their project-based learning experiences via video conferences. We planned on doing more, but it just didn't happen because life is life. And um, so right now he is really creating real learning experiences, which is why I wanted him on the show. So Scott, thank you for taking the time. I really appreciate it. Well, thank you very much for inviting me. Um, yeah, I'm glad you reached out and yeah, that that whole summary of teacher of teachers is uh, something I'm really passionate about. So that was a, definitely a great summary of who I am and kind of a good intro into our discussion, I think. Fantastic. So let's get started. So can you tell me what you are currently working on that gets you excited? So it was a great transition, those words that you just said. And what are you trying to achieve? Oh my goodness. Um, I wish this was in video because I would show you around and actually um, I'm going to show you around so you get kind of an idea. But sure. um, what I've done is I have set up um, what I'm calling the Pioneer Innovative Teaching Lab. And Ooh. it's a space where my teachers can come in and um, collaborate with me, um, explore uh, different technology. Um, so right here I have some CD printers. Oh, we we lost your voice, uh, Scott. Get closer to the mic. <laughs> so um, I have some 3D printers, a podcasting station, um, AR and VR um, headsets and things. Um, I have a green screen and a whole lighting setup. Um, so my vision was I wanted to provide a place for, again, my teachers to come in and sit down and use technology, um, you know, wade into it, you know, break things, create things, and really get a good understanding of how they can use it themselves and create stuff so they could bring it back into the classroom so students could, in turn, create things out of it. Um, and, and the goal was to make an authentic learning experience for my teachers. So again, they could go in and make an authentic learning experience for students. Mm, I love it. So is it like overbooked right now? Like people Oh are... my goodness. It, <laughs> uh, I, I just looked at my calendar and 
Yeah, I don't think I can, you know, legitimately take a sick day or anything until <laughs> mid-November. So. so just don't get sick. It's as simple as that. Like, exactly. You don't have time for sick. <laughs> yeah, so it's, yeah, I'm busy, uh, crazy busy, but it's a good busy because mm. I have teachers that are excited about it. And I mean, obviously I'm excited about it. Um, and I'm excited about growing it and taking it further. So, so far, what are some initiatives that you've seen? Are there, are the teachers only coming in? Well, only, I don't want to diminish it in any way possible. It's just fantastic. I wish that was uh, like everywhere, but um, how are teachers currently using it? Are they testing or are they starting to implement similar situations and learning stations or whatever in their classrooms? Um, a, a little of both, you know, there's, there's quite a bit of, you know, teachers coming in and, you know, kind of wading in and getting an idea of what the technology is and, you know, practicing with it. And then um, the, you have those beginners or neophytes, and then you have the ones that are like, okay, that's pretty cool. Um, how can I bring that into my classroom? Mm. And, you know, how can I show that to my students? Um, but you know, the, the really cool stuff that's happening is, you know, those people that, you know, come in at stage one, go to stage two, and then are like, oh, you know, how can my students create something with this? You know, what can we do with this to, you know, go even further? So, mm. you know, I, I'm excited with all the different levels because, you know, it, for me, that's, I, I enjoy talking instruction with teachers and I enjoy, you know, taking them from their own point A to their own point B. So it's really different for each one. Mm -hmm. yeah, I, I guess the, the answer to your question is, you know, we don't have any real set, you know, initiatives where we're like, okay, we're going to do podcasting in all English classes. Um, so it, it's really things that I've collected that, number one, I'm passionate about, but that I see teachers talking about on Twitter and you know, educational blogs that they're using in the classrooms and that are popular for students. Mm -hmm. And that's actually a good thing because once the teachers introduce it in their classrooms, just like, hey, by the way, we could use this if they're doing genius hour or something along those lines. Uh, and the students have to either start a podcast or blog or whatnot. Um, the teacher has, exper has experience with it, so they can be like, okay, I'm comfortable enough to get yes. started. And, um, and it, we approach the things totally differently when we, we have some experience. And it's not like this, be careful, you might die if you start doing something different type, type of thing. Oh, yeah, totally. And you know, my, my approach in this is, is pretty laid back. It's... Um, you know, I had a teacher last year that I mentioned something to about um, virtual reality. And then she approached me this year about wanting to, to do a lesson and collaborate. And, you know, I just kind of planted the seeds uh, last year and, you know, now they're starting to bear fruit. So it's, mm. I'm excited about things like that. Yeah, that's amazing. Um, so what would be your hopes for this year? in terms of what could potentially happen or yeah, I'm leaving that open. <laughs> well, 
I guess, you know, my hopes is that, you know, I, I want to be able to, to reach teachers that, you know, haven't traditionally brought authentic learning to their classes. And, you know, I don't really have a set goal of, you know, I, I want to reach, you know, five or six teachers and I want all of, you know, two thirds or 60% or whatever of those teachers to be able to implement so-and-so into their class. Uh, I'm looking at it more holistically and, you know, I want, I want our students to be affected and I want our students to be able to, you know, grow and create and be inspired. So, you know, if that takes them, um, I spend a lot of time with one or two teachers and, you know, start growing this that way and then it spreads from there. I'm fine with that. Yeah, no, that's a, that's a great way of seeing it because what you ultimately want is for it to spread no matter what speed you actually want it to, to grow and it to, you want it to be a positive experience for everyone. Yes. Yes. All right. So transitioning a little bit, um, what are some over the years, because I think you've been uh, a coach for, for some time now, um, over the years, what are some ways you've found helpful to enhance like these authentic learning experiences and deep learning and teaching in the classroom? What are, what are some, some ways or some key moments perhaps that have changed the way you perceive um, education, learning, teaching, etc. I think for me, you know, throughout my career, um, the one big thing that I've always tried to do is build a relationship with my students. Um, and, and I think that's key, whether or not your students are, you know, children, whether you're adult or whether they're adults, um, that relationship building is key because, you know, you need to understand what your learner's interests are because, you know, to make an authentic learning experience in that, that deeper learning, you really have to get into, you know, the mindset of that student, understand, you know, where their interests are because a lot of times that's what really drives that authentic learning and that's, you know, kind of the focus point um, because if you're, you know, building a problem-based um, unit or problem-based curriculum, authentic learning, you know, whatever label you want to put on it, you know, it's really, you know, how can you take something tangible or intangible um, and connect it with content? Mm -hmm. And it's a creative process. So you can't really just say, do this, do that. There's all kinds of trial and error and exploration phases and stuff. So, so I like the, the way that you're building relationships first, because another reason for that is that you don't necessarily know the people super well. So yeah. as, when you start speaking with them, you can discover different things that give you, give both of you ideas and can help you create something that's really authentic. I, I'm, I'm kind of allergic to that word now because we use it so much like authentic it, yes. and it just sounds good. But um, to make learning interesting and to make yeah. it happen everywhere, I think that's what I really mean by it. Yeah. And I think another important thing is, you know, the, the ability or I guess the, well, I, I guess the ability to take a risk and to be open to failure. You know, we're, we're in a profession that for, for my entire career was failure averse. And, you know, failure was not a word that you wanted to hear or you wanted to talk about and you wanted to discuss. And, you know, as, 
as we move forward in you know, creating a real interesting and authentic curriculum, there has to be that element of failure because, you know, number one, that's how you learn. But, you know, if you're being innovative and you're taking risks, you know, that does come with, you know, a percentage of failure and you have to be okay with that, mm-hmm. um, you know, and be able to learn from that. Yeah, definitely. I, I can, I can totally relate to that. Um, this year I'm teaching a grade five classroom and I'm, I'm saying this year, but uh, my, my contract ends in March because I'm replacing for a maternity leave. So um, right now I'm kind of taking what was there and it's really hard to change what is already there. It's yeah. not like I'm starting fresh. And I mean, there are good sides and bad sides to, to this because I at least have something I can do with the students. And all, all I have to do is see the, the areas I could change or adapt to myself. But getting starting in a school where you don't know the people, you don't know the culture, you don't know um, the expectations, you don't know any of that, the risk is really big. So getting started is, um, yeah, it's a lot. And I'm oh, speaking yes. from the perspective of having done project-based learning, passion-based learning, as an entire curriculum in an ESL class, but still I'm starting something new. So it's, it's new territory. So I can really relate to that. And yeah, it's just a process, I guess. It's a good process though. Yeah, no, it's exciting. Yes, it is. uh, It's interesting and it's, um, it's exciting. There isn't a day where I go to school, I start teaching and I think, what could I, what could I change or something like that? I always tell myself that. So there's always this challenge. So it's exciting. Um, So I mentioned in your introduction that you are a runner. And the reason why I'm saying that is because I, I enjoy running as well. And I was curious how being a runner has perhaps impacted you or what it brings you because I'm really passionate about um, being like having healthy teachers and happy teachers and, and just passionate teachers. But I think that if you're not in a situation where you're feeling good, you can't really be there. So I'm curious. Yeah. So for me, running is, you know, my thing. Um, So I'm a solitary runner. I don't like uh, running with clubs or with groups of people. I like getting out on, you know, on the roads and on the trails and just running by myself. It's you know, that time for me to process things and actually just go mindless and you know, forget about everything. Um, so it's really that the only point in my week or in my time where I'm truly 100% alone and, you know, in my thoughts. Um, and, you know, for me, it's, it's like one of those goal setting things where, you know, you set a goal um, and you set a plan to achieve that goal. And then, you know, especially a long race, like a half marathon or even a marathon, you know, you take that goal and at various points throughout there, you're like, why am I doing this? <laughs> why am I putting myself through it? But, and yeah, you keep revising that goal and looking at, okay, you know, for me to realistically get there, here's what I need to do. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, so for me, it's, it's my therapy. It's what keeps me sane, keeps me happy and um, keeps me married. 
<laughs> that's good. Uh, that's interesting. I, I'm curious to know if do you listen to any anything, any music, any podcasts or something when while you're running? Um, so I listen to uh, music um, just as kind of background noise. Um, and I guess that there are certain points, usually after three or four miles where my mind goes totally blank. Um, so I won't even know what music is on or, you know, what are, you know, the surroundings. There are races that I've done where friends are like, Hey, you know, did you see that landmark or that landmark? I, like, no, I, I no idea what you're talking about. Oh, um, that's hilarious. So, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm saying that because I, I usually listen to podcasts. I used to listen to music. And at one point I'm like, whoa, I have time when I do this. I can listen to stuff. So I started listening to podcasts. And it's incredible the amount of ideas I get while I'm running. Yeah. Just like oh this is gonna be awesome and it just unwraps in my mind and sometimes i wish like i could just save those thoughts so i don't have to like stop and write them down or just whatever do something to remember them yeah. but some of my best ideas come while i'm <laughs> running so yeah definitely a, a yeah i've never tried to a podcast with running just uh just because you know that mind blankness thing it's you know i go into uh, you're you're kind of I meditating can't even describe it it's it's, it's almost yeah, it like sounds like that. Mode. Yeah. Okay. Um, just before we, uh, we dive into uh, another point, I wanted to ask you, what are some of the projects you are most proud of and least proud of? Oh, goodness. And why? I would say just... Um, so there's something that a colleague and I are working on right now. Um, that our district is rolling out uh, digital portfolios for our students. And right now my school is piloting um, what that portfolio is going to look like. And we're you know, testing it out. Um, so a colleague and I are taking it a step further and looking at Okay, so students' end goal is to do such and such career. Well, what does that look like? Can we create a video of that on a green screen and be able to have you know that as the focal point for the portfolio? And so the student talks about, okay, this is this is my career goal. This is what I want to do after high school, and this is what I've been working on to be able to get to that. Um, so starting almost like a defensive learning um, and a justification of, you know, education thing. Um, so that's definitely something that I'm proud of, but I'm also excited about as well. Um, I think some of the things I'm least proud of are, I guess, assignments that, you know, didn't cause any thinking or cause minimal thinking. Almost those, uh, well, I've got to give something. So here, you know, let's. Let's do this just, you know, kind of time waster. And, you know, looking back at some of those, I'm like, geez, you know, I really did those students a disservice, you know, just putting that assignment out that I've done for years and years and years. Mm, I understand, yeah. However, at the same time, just to, <laughs> to make you feel better, but at the same time, I really believe this. I think that those moments are what allow you to to change what you're doing because you don't, 
that feeling makes you feel worthless. Like, oh, I could have done so much more that so that mm. next time you actually it it changes something. Oh yeah. I think. Yeah. Um, what are some of the greatest challenges you have to inspire, motivate, create, uh, you pick? Oh goodness. Um, stasis. Yeah. Sorry. What's that? <laughs> um, that feeling of, I guess, uh, just doing the same thing over and over again you know, trying to combat that and, you know, talk to teachers about, you know, it, I guess the, the phrase that I absolutely can't stand is, well, I've always done it that way. Or, you know, my test scores are really good. So why should I change something? Um, and just, you know, you know, I, I get frustrated when you, know, you, you have those conversations with teachers and you're not successful in, you know, trying to get them to, you know, take that risk. Um, and, you know, I, I'm also excited about those because it's a challenge. You know, I, I want to talk instruction with those teachers and I want to, you know, bring them to, you know, their point B. But, you know, again, you know, I have to be realistic. I can't change everything in one night and, you know, and, nor should it probably be changed, you know, in one night. Mm -hmm. And change for change is not really what we're looking for. It's really how can you reach them on a deeper level so that it starts from them? Because that's, that's the way we reach people. I think it's when it, it becomes unclear whether it was your idea or their idea first. Yeah. Thing. Yeah. And you know, sometimes, you know, that, that good professional peer pressure goes a long way because, you know, if, if you have professionals seeing that there are other teachers doing stuff, and that, you know, their students are learning, having great time learning. And then, you know, they see their students, they're like, oh, I guess I could do that. I could try that. And yeah, nothing beats when a student comes in class and says, oh, but in such class, they're doing this. And you're like, oh. <laughs> oh, yeah. And, you know, I've had teachers come to me, you know, this year and said, hey, listen, you know, I heard about this great assignment. You know, the kids are talking about that, you know, they're doing in so-and-so's class, you know, can you show me how to do that? Can you come in? And yes. Mm -hmm. And I think ultimately that those teachers, it's just a fear of not being able to manage or not working out and stuff. And I think that when they can see that it's worked somewhere else, it's like, yes. okay, this is, this could work. So this could potentially work. It's not a uh, shooting a dart out of the blue kind of thing. So I think that's also motivating. Yeah, it's that fear of failure and fear of the unknown. Mm -hmm. Do you have any specific methods or ways that you've tried to help people overcome that? That that worked with certain people, perhaps. Um, I found that yeah, you know, I'm always willing and able to go into classrooms and you know plan with teachers, team teach. Um, teach, um, you know, showcase the skill, work with the students directly. Um, so a, a lot of these teachers, you know, since I'm the coach at the same school I was a teacher at, you know, a, a lot of them are familiar with me. So that, that gives me a little, I guess, leg up on, you know, if I were coming into a, you know, a school as a stranger. 
Mm -hmm. um, so that familiarity helps, but also, you know, that ability to just, you know, have that realistic discussion with the teacher beforehand and plan and say, listen, you know, this, this didn't always come naturally to me too. This is what I had to do to be able to learn this and be able to do this. You know, a lot of times, you know, some of these ideas I got from students, you know, first and I, you know, developed them or, you know, modified them to fit other students. So it's, you know, you don't ha always have to be an expert on everything. Mm-hmm. Listen, uh, I'm thinking that perhaps people who are listening might be interested in creating their own, um, how did you call it, an innovation, innovative teaching lab. Yes. Would you have some advice for either coaches or educators or whatever, anyone who would like to get started? And the, the answer is always, we don't have money. So I'm, yeah, some well, tips on that. Um, yeah, uh, there are grants available. Um, I, I was lucky enough that, um, you know, I looked at technologies that weren't that expensive. Um, I was able to, you know, again, uh, fund some of this through grants. But, you know, I really looked at, you know, current research. I looked at, you know, trends in education. And I looked at some of the things that I knew students were interested in doing. And looking at that, I kind of backward planned from there and thought, okay, well, these are some of the experiences and some of the skills and some of the jobs that, and tools that students will be using in, you know, right now in the job uh, force and the workforce, um, and even later, then what do I need to do to bring those into classrooms right now and how do I make those accessible to teachers? Um, so first thing I needed was space. Um, and so my principal was nice enough to uh, give me a room, allow me to paint the room um, and allow me to you know, purchase some technology. And you know, my, um, our tech director, you know, funded this as well. So it's, you know, being able to have that support from your district and from your principal is definitely key. Mm -hmm, for sure. You, you mentioned that you started with some examples of what students were interested in doing. Could you, could you give us some examples of what those were? Um, it, so a lot of it, a lot of what uh, students were talking to me about was, you know, how do I create videos? You know, how can I create that YouTube experience or, you know, that 360, um, you know, experience? You know, what's this virtual reality or, you know, how about 3D printing? Um, so there's a lot of conversations with students. And then, you know, it, for me personally, I like all of this stuff. Um, you know, I, I think it's neat and interesting and cool. So. It's like, okay, yeah, I, I can get into learning how to do that stuff and, you know, um, trying that stuff out. You know, because for me, I didn't really have a starting point with anything, with any of this either. You know, I didn't really know how to use a 3D printer or podcasting equipment or um, virtual reality headsets. So I had to teach myself how to use that stuff and, you know, how, you know, what were best practices to incorporate into a classroom. So, you know, from a coaching perspective, you know, the learning, the learning curve was pretty steep mm -hmm. um, because, 
yeah, I can't expect teachers and I can't have teachers coming in here, um, you know, me not being able to explain stuff. But that's also what's happening too, because, you know, we're learning together. So it's a really good way to collaborate and say, okay, listen, I don't really know this uh, that much about this. Let's figure this out together. So, Have you tried bringing students into that space? Yes. Yeah. Tell me about it. it. Yeah. That's what's, um, that's the interesting thing. Cause I, I'm that teacher in the building that always keeps his door open. Um, and you know, that's kind of a no, no in uh, our building. We're not really supposed to. Um, but I do it anyway, just because I want people to stop by and I want people to come in and look at it and go, Oh wow, that's really cool. Um, so yeah, you know, there have been students that have come in like, you have a green screen. Like, yeah, I do. Uh, are those VR headsets? Yes, they are. <laughs> yeah, they take that information back to their classes, but you know, they also come in, they're like, Hey, can I print something out or can I check out those goggles? Yes. And then, you know, I have teachers that are bringing their kids in like, Hey, you know, can I bring in like five kids to, you know, film on the green screen and, you know, do this? Yeah. Oh, that's great. So, so students end up asking for it and that's, that's the key to everything. If, if there is a need, then that's what, that's where it starts because it's great to have all this equipment, but tech for tech's sake is, is nothing, right? We want them to, to need, we want the technology to bring something that wasn't possible otherwise. Yes. So just them seeing it, that's when they start thinking, oh, yeah. oh I could do this and that and this and that. And, and see, that that's my ultimate goal for this space is I want students creating using these tools. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I need to, to be able to get students creating, I need to be able to have teachers create. Yeah. yeah, for sure. All right. So Scott, can you tell everyone where they can find out more, follow you and uh, maybe go harass you on Twitter or something to say, <laughs> I want that too. <laughs> yes. So follow me on Twitter at Scott Lewis ITC. Um, so any of this stuff, if anybody ever wants to talk to me about, uh, you know, the innovative teaching lab or portfolios or innovation or anything like that. Yeah, definitely, you know, reach out to me on Twitter, um, you know, DM me, whatever. Um, I'd be happy to talk and do a Zoom, whatever. Perfect. And actually, I forgot to ask, do you have any specific resources, either podcasts you enjoy or books or, or some resources that have helped you get to where you are oh goodness um oh there are so many um i am a huge twitter fan uh so there are definitely some chats i really like but i think resource wise matt miller um he does a podcast uh ditch that textbook uh podcast and he has great stuff on there um and actually he um and one of his co-authors of one of his recent books, Don't Ditch That Tech, um, created a podcasting uh, mini ebook, which is pretty cool. Um, 
So I would say, you know, in terms of, you know, technology, Matt Miller is definitely, you know, up there with, you know, somebody that, you know, I look to for kind of that inspiration, but, you know, that down to earth sense. Um, Rick Warmly, who is a um, middle school English teacher or was, um, he does a lot on differentiation and he was actually, he changed and rocked my world when it comes to, um, you know, fairness and grading. Um, so definitely any of his books and, you know, discussions and podcasts about fairness versus equality and grading is, you know, life-changing. Awesome. Well, thank you for sharing. It's, uh, it has been very inspiring. I have my mind racing on how can I create a green screen for my students to do their TED Talks and how can I have a podcasting station within the classroom so that it doesn't make too much noise and all that. Anyways, uh, you got me Headset thinking, so mics. that's excellent. Sorry? Headset mics. Does it block out the noise? Oh, yeah. Yeah, wow. so just um, I use a Logitech um, headset mic. They're about $15 a piece, right around there. Um, and I bring these into classes um, when we're doing podcasts or anything like that, um, you know, Flipgrid or anything. It, does, it doesn't block out all of the noise, but the microphone localizes um, a lot of the noise and it cuts out on the background stuff. Say that again. What's the name of the, the mic? Um, Logitech. Logitech. Got it. Yes. And they're anywhere from between $15 to $20 uh, US. So it, I mean, they're, not, they're not cheap, but they're also not overly expensive. Cool. Well, thank you so much, Scott. I appreciate you taking the time. Well, you're welcome. I'm glad you reached out and asked. Awesome.